Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. Okay, in this week's podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce Warren Shrew, serial entrepreneur who has founded several successful companies over the past 30-odd years including Paper Direct Inc., Genesis Direct, Sheets Energy Strips, Popcorn Indiana, Successories, the American Registry, and currently his latest venture, MyPhoto.com. Warren is author of the book, Starting Them Up, which chronicles the DNA of over 30 entrepreneurial businesses. He has also written several columns on entrepreneurial businesses for Inc. Magazine. Warren has also been featured in several news outlets, including CNBC, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, and Forbes. And the key wisdom bite from Warren today is get up to bat and swing. Warren, welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on board here. This is, this is going to be a fabulous session. So thank you. Thank, thank you, Richard, for having me. I look forward to chatting it up with you. Absolutely. So as, as always, the, the usual format in these podcasts, I've got three main sections here, Warren. What have you learned? What would you change? What are you grateful for? And then we'll have a little bonus quick round, okay, for some quick fire questions there. But um, in the first segment, what have you learned? Let me kick it off by saying, Warren, in your first business paper direct, Inc., you recognize the potential growth of laser and ink jet printers and your invention, invention of specialty paper products created a new industry. How did that innovation spark occur? So I was a young pup, Richard. I was working for a real estate company at the time, a very large real estate company in Chicago. I was the youngest vice president and um, always had an interest in being an entrepreneur. Uh, At the time, I was a fourth generation school um, uh, that wanted to be an entrepreneur. And one day I planned on being an entrepreneur. So I had to get it, get something going. And um, as the story is told, it was 1989 and um, bought my assistant a new computer. It was a Macintosh computer. Most people had PCs, but I bought her a Mac. It was about $13,000. And we also bought this new device called a laser printer, which was $11,500. And the reason why we invested in that is because I made a lot of presentations for a living. And I was going to a typesetter and spending a lot of money at local print shops to make these presentations that I would go and hand out different documents and and, um, leave behinds and spend a fortune. And they still didn't look good because when I was presenting the Merrill Lynch, uh, it it was expensive. And not all the time was I able to put the word Merrill Lynch on the presentation, which sort of sounds ridiculous as we are here in 2021. And um, so my brother had been in um, a different kind of paper business. Um, and I called him up one day and said, you know, we just made this investment um, in this stuff so we could do this thing called desktop publishing and do all these kind of cool things. And I said, but the, the thing that I don't have is any cool paper that I could put in the laser printer tray and make these documents stand out. I had the printer. It printed black ink. Inkjet printers weren't even around then print black ink, but you have colored paper, you have parchment paper, you have speckled paper. 
And it was our first fight when I asked him to get me some. He said, you don't understand, you can't get this stuff unless you buy a pallet from the manufacturer. I said, no, 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 I don't want a pallet. And I can't get it for you. Well, can you ask them for samples? So he finally came through for me and got me a whole bunch of samples of these in and out of the box papers. I got them, I put them in my laser printer. Um, I sent my assistant to, uh, to a desktop publishing school for an afternoon. She learned how to do a logo on, on, on the top and she typed out Merrill Lynch with our logo and did this document. She made 50 of them out of a laser printer and I looked at it and I go, this is, this is game changing, yeah. game changing. I went on my merry way the next day to a presentation of Merrill Lynch and people looked at me like, like, this is like, how did you do it? You just made this for us? And that sparked an idea that um, the personalization of documents, presentations, were never going to go away. And if you use this new power of desktop publishing that basically Macintosh invented and HP laser printer sort of brought to fruition, put those two together for a cool $23,000. If you bought some paper, um, it made it look good instead of stealing it out of your copier machine and it's all flimsy paper, you know, old white, you know, horrible paper, you maybe get another sale. So um, I saw their expression, I saw them, they got excited and did a few more of them. And I said, you know, something, I think I got something here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find more guys and gals like me that um, are presenting, that have a need to change it up. And I'm gonna sell them paper. I don't want to open stores. I'm going to sell them by mail. No internet, obviously, in 1989. I'm going to sell it by mail. Someone told me everybody gets rich if you start a catalog business. I was going to start a catalog business. And um, knew nothing about it. And I left my job as a VP of this big company and basically um, had no money to start this thing. But I begged, barred, and stealed, stole, 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 um, actually, um, and raised uh, $1.1 million dollars from 35 people that I knew. And, and the story is only one person really knew, really understood what the hell I was talking about. I was gonna sell paper by mail. And um, that idea sparked um, a business that in four years, obviously through finding, through direct targeting, direct marketing, which is now called Facebook, Instagram, and Google, found 1 million customers, 1 million customers in four years to buy my product. And uh, we were generating close to 100 million in sales. And um, a Fortune 500 company bought me in 1993. And that's the short of my paper direct story and how I cut my teeth in the entrepreneurial world. That, that is awesome, Warren. And, and I appreciate that. So that, that's a beautiful story. And, you know, in linking to your wisdom bite of get up to bat and swing, I mean, a lot of people come up with very original ideas but they don't translate those into action. And you actually took that idea and actually did something with it. So your advice to the listeners about taking ideas, we all have great ideas and we forget them two days later, but you took that and actually did something with it. So what would your advice be to, to our listeners? Well, it's funny, you know, I, people have a DNA, uh, different DNAs, right? And I know uh, that a lot of people have a DNA have the DNA that they'll never get up and bat and take a chance. Yeah. So you could tell them all you want, take a risk, go do it. They're never going to do it. They're going to talk about it for 27 years that they have an invention that they want to sell on the internet. They'll never do it because their DNA doesn't permit them to do it. The ones that are predisposed to take some risk, I think, you know, most people are just afraid of um, failing. 
Um, and obviously some people can't afford as much failure, failure as some others. Yeah. But even in the worst case, if you fail, but if you get up at bat and you have confidence in yourself, because most businesses do fail, they do, particularly brand new ones. But you got to get up at bat if you have a conviction and don't have the fear. Just go do it and stop talking. About it. Go do it. Yeah. Now, in the same theme, a lot of folks will will perform market analysis and probably analysis paralysis. All right. And so how much of that original idea, Warren, was validated by your intuition and your gut rather than analysis or market analysis? How would you respond to that? Look, I, I, my analysis is, is similar to the other Warren. His name is Warren Buffett. Yeah. And as the story is told, Warren Buffett's first, one of his first great investments was in the Gap. Yeah. How did he make that investment decision? Because he went to the local mall and saw a line outside the door. Yeah. And he knew something was up here. Maybe he did some homework, but he didn't overthink it. And I try to learn from that story in talking to a lot of people. And I want to hear the good, bad, and the ugly about what they think about selling popcorn or about selling paper or about selling whatever. And I listen, I'm a decent listener, and I, and I, and I use people make fun of me. I always say, teach me what you think about this idea. Teach me what you think about selling, like, what's your reaction? And I listen and absorb and often like to hear negativity because that sort of fuels me a little bit. And often people react to some of my crazier ideas that say, are you crazy? And often when they say am I crazy, it actually gets me more excited than the ones that say, hey, Warren, that's a great idea. So I take it all in, put it in the mixer, and decide whether I'm going to bat or not. Wonderful. Okay. And how can we develop the insight to see those opportunities before others do, Warren? Well, I think it comes down to you know, two things again. I think some people just have a DNA of a curious, right? That, you know, I, I, I think I, I guess after all these years, I, I was predisposed and got pretty good at, you know, hey, I think we should start a business that sells X, Y, and Z and have a reasonable sniffer that there's a need, a need yeah. for that. Um, some people have no clue. They never come up with that idea. But I think overall, you know, this, there's this thing called Google and you go to Google and you type in a, if you have any idea and, you know, until your fingers get bloody, Google that idea, Google an idea, Google an industry, Google a, you know, who's failed and succeeded in the past. And you'll come up with, hey, you know, I didn't realize there was a patent in 1997 for this and it's no longer a patent. Maybe I can get that. Well, it's not that hard. You go to, you know, you know, trademark, trademarkia or uspto.gov and you can find this stuff. It's all there. So go learn, go study, go figure it out. Right. Okay, so moving forward, you're a founder CEO for many of your companies. So what are the top five things you wished someone told you before becoming a CEO, Warren? Oh, I got a whole bunch of those. I can spend all day on those. But I, I, I guess, um, you know, um, first of all, it's just, it's, it's not easy. It, it's just never, ever, ever a straight path. Um, while I do advocate for building a plan and putting a fancy PowerPoint together for internal uses and all that stuff, it's never a straight plan. So that's number one. Number two, um, you know, I, I guarantee, guarantee um, that um, whatever plan you put together is wrong. It's just wrong. And if you're not um, able to fess up 
sooner rather than later um, that your plan is wrong and be willing to zig or zag. Yeah. Sometimes zigging and zagging means taking a different direction or modifying a little bit. And sometimes it's folding your tent. Um, you got to react and you can't say, oh, but I built a business plan two years ago and I'm going to follow it. And this is what I was meant to do. Um, I, I guess um, probably the last one is, you know, high level of curiosity. You just got to always ask. And, and as I said before, I always use everybody makes fun of me about you know, teach me everywhere I go. When I go into a, a meeting I'll, and I'm curious about their what they're doing with their photos on their phone, I say, teach me about, show me your last picture that you've taken that you love on your phone and, and teach me what you think about that when you see it. Always trying to get into people's heads. Right. If you get into enough people's heads, you may learn something. So be curious, keep on asking questions. And my, 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 uh, my family makes a lot of fun of me that I ask too many questions, but school. <laughs> It's um, it's a it's a gem of a competency nowadays. I can tell you, people I find don't ask enough questions. So you and I are land on that one, Warren. So when you and I touch base for the first time, you mentioned um, know that you can't do it alone. Was one of your gems. Know that you can't do it alone. So let's pull on that point a little bit here. What, in your experience, are the toughest hurdles in an organizational life cycle? I'm sorry, can you ask that again, Richard? In your experience, what are the toughest hurdles in an organizational life cycle? Um, well, I, I guess in my experience, and I've had a few thousand people work for me over the, the years, yeah. um, no matter how good, how wonderful <clears throat> the resume looks and how wonderful people, when you ask for references, say that person is great, at minimum 500%, I'm sorry, 50% of them are duds. So they're just duds. They don't fit within an entrepreneurial organization. It's not that they're not always that smart, not, but for whatever reason, they do not fit in an entrepreneurial organization. And it could be smarts, it could be they don't have the fire in the belly, it could be whatever. So I, um, I, I, I think that um, as you know, as an entrepreneur, when I look around over so many years, and, and and I keep in touch with so many of the people that actually we had 500 employees at Paper Direct, and I was 31 years old when I sold it, and I keep in touch with so many of those people. And so many of those people um, have wonderful jobs today in serious companies, and, and and what made us successful in those four and a half years is we just had this can-do attitude, and maybe because we were so young, we didn't know any better at the time, but we had a team that would walk through walls. And when you have someone that walks through a wall, it compensates for lack of experience, lack of fancy college degrees, et cetera, et cetera. So my advice is you build a team with people that are just obsessed. And I overuse the word obsessed, but if you have people that um, are obsessed with you about a mission, you have a greater chance of getting there. Understood. No, great, great answer. And as a visionary, what new higher competency traits complemented your strengths as you grew the companies? So I am, you know, I, from an operations point of view, I, I you know, everybody uh, um, makes fun of me because I'm thinking about tomorrow, not today. Um, and um, from an operational point of view, you just need people that just, um, know how to get stuff done. Uh, you know, 
I, I always give an example in one of our businesses, a guy walked around with a clipboard all the time. Like that's the guy you want in your team. That's the guy that um, if you were in a desert island, had no food and had nothing, that's the guy you want. So I uh, mostly surround myself, on, particularly on the operational side, um, with some awesome people and um, let them execute and let them succeed or fail, but let them take risk in getting stuff done. And you know, our company that I'm most involved with today, my photo, you know, it's really hard. It's taken us a few swings at the bat to get to operation excellence, but no one's done it before, but we're cranking out many thousands of pieces of photo products every day with your dog on it and your cat on it and your family picture. And um, we didn't have a, a guide, a roadmap to figure out what we're doing. And we just, we figured it out with some smart people. Right. And, and so, you know, the discussions, particularly in this day and age in our world of, you know, knowledge base and so on, is, um, is do you hire generalists or do you hire specialists? What, what, what's your view on that one, Warren? Well, I think for certain positions, um, generalists who have raw smarts and raw tenacity are great. But at the end of the day, we have an engineer that um, runs our manufacturing and operations. You can't hire a generalist, generalist for that. You just can't. But I do love generalists. I love generalists that are just animals and just are, um, you know, they never look at a clock. They're texting me and I'm texting them all the time because it's not work, it's fun. And I believe that um, a complement of generalists and Specialists who are really highly trained in certain areas are a great blend. Right. Interesting point. Now, I've been involved in a number of entrepreneurial fast growth companies as well, Warren, and I've um, certainly observed and experienced founder syndrome. And, you know, this is when founders struggle to allow the experts in at the right stage. What advice would you give to founders? Because um, that's a real impediment to growth, right? Founder syndrome. What advice would you give them that, you know, there's a point in time where you may have to give up the baby. All right, you may have to bring in the experts, let them take over and let companies be professionally run or, or whatever, depending on the life cycle. What advice would you give to those founders who are in that bucket? So in, in, in starting and running several you know, large businesses, um, there's no doubt that no matter how good an entrepreneur is, um, and I've invested in probably 25 businesses where I've really seen it more so. Um, and probably half of them succeeded, half of them failed. Um, but I, I, if one of the key ingredients is, um, look at, when I look back is really having an entrepreneur that is just honest, not, not they don't steal, but I'm honest with themselves and say, I just don't know how to do this. And most people are, it's, it's tough to run a business if it's doing 500,000 versus 25 million. You just don't have the skills. And too many entrepreneurs I've seen think they think they can do it themselves or with cheap help, if you will. Yeah. You don't get there. And if you have a 20, if you're blessed to have a, on the path to having a big business, don't cheap out, particularly if you've never done it before. Raw, you know, raw, raw brains is great to a limit. But you really, the experience of making mistakes before, you can't pay for that enough. So find people that have done that, made mistakes, that 
can bring to the table those learnings and make sure, as I always like to say, you know, you want to find people that can help you from, um, you know, you're always going to have potholes in a business, but, but find the people that are going to help you avoid the craters. Potholes are cool. Yep. Craters are not cool. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's easier said than done, but watch, get out of the craters. It's okay, potholes. I love that. I love that advice. And, and uh, you know, for the listeners, I love your passion, Warren. I can see this. I can see this is a hot topic for you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, your advice to aspiring founders: What skills should an aspiring founder prioritize in themselves? Yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think every entrepreneur has to be a optimist, but have some sense of realism. Um, if you're not an optimist. Um, you shouldn't do it because by nature, entrepreneurs are optimistic. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Yep. Some people are not optimistic. In fact, um, they're not. And, and they go to bat and they're not optimistic. And then they realize they're not going to, they, they can't go to the next step because they're not optimistic about what's going to happen in the next step. So they fold. So um, I, I, I think that, you know, being an optimist first, I think, um, I like to say, you know, a sports analogy, have peripheral vision. Don't put yourself in a tunnel. Like just understand, even though you're, you're, you may be starting a business and when I started the paper business or my popcorn business, or I, I didn't have anybody to really follow, but still know who's out there doing stuff. Yeah. And even though Popcorn Indiana, you know, grew under the noses of Frito-Lay and is that then President Frito-Lay told me, who the hell are you? Where'd you come from? Don't tell anybody, but that bag of kettle corn is the only bag of snack food that my kids will eat. <laughs> this is Frito-Lay who owned 87% of the market at the time. So yeah, I, I, I watched them, but I, I, I didn't, I watched them, but I just totally took a different path and was not afraid to take a different path. And you have to have guts to do that. Absolutely. And, and, and how powerful is, is self-awareness? So on that point about moving from founders to CEO, to the CEO position, what would you say are the most common blind spots for founders who transition to that CEO position? I think that, um, um, you know, fundamentally, if you're not a people person, um, if you're not a people person and you have um, not an easy time in, in hyper-connecting with people and having people trust you, trust you, even though you tell them, I may not be right by doing this, but trust you that you know that you're going with your gut, you're taking my opinion, their opinion as well, is really important. And I think that you need to be, if you're a CEO, you need to be trusting you need to empower people to make mistakes. And that is really hard for young entrepreneurs, young CEOs, it's really hard. Um, but at the end of the day, again, if you, if you make sure that you do your best to eliminate the craters, but get some potholes in here and there, I think you'll be better for it. But at the end of the day, you have to let your team do their thing and not micromanage. And in the beginning, of course, it's all upon you. But at some stage of a life of a, of a business, if it's successful and it grows, you, you, you must let people succeed or fail in their own areas and hopefully, you know, the former more than the latter. 
Understood. Understood. Okay, you've you've shared three mantras that has guided your thirty year, um, thirty years as an entrepreneur. I want to expand on one of them because it's the unadulterated truth, which is I, I love this uh, this conversation, Warren. Don't believe your own bullshit was one of them. <laughs> I didn't realize we can. Tell we us can more. Tell us about that. That, that, that's a highly insightful, very self-aware point that we can all learn from. So tell us more. The other two were basically around the business plan that will it will always change. And so um, that will ebb and flow and then surround yourself with passionate people. But I want to tug on. Don't believe your own bullshit. Tell us more about that one. Yeah, I, I, I think that, again, you know, successful entrepreneurs are um, very opinionated, very passionate. Um, they um, don't take no for an answer um, and are, are um, willing to take risk whether they know it or not. But at the end of the day, um, you got to come home at night, lay in your bed and say, is this business really like on the right path? Is it? And you have to question, maybe not in front of all your people, peers, part, but you have to self-reflect because I think that, you know, if, if I look at some of the mistakes that I've made in my life as an entrepreneur and, you know, some are timing, some are self-inflicted, um, some are just bad ideas, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I think that if you believe your own bullshit, you're going to go too far in a, in, in a bad situation and be there too long, spend too much money, lose more money, et cetera. And I, I think Kenny Rogers had the quote, you know, know when to hold them and when to fold them. And, you know, that was, you know, talking about playing cards. But I, I think that, um, if you don't believe your own bullshit, you'll be better at knowing when to zig and zag. And if you have something that's off the rails, even though it's my dream, it's my dream, I'm gonna do it. You have to, at the end of the day, look at the mirror and say, do I believe this anymore or not? And know when to fold them, just like you know when to start. I love your straight shooting, uh, Warren. And, and I can tell from this conversation that simplicity in its purest form is is, is the way you operate, all right? <laughs> so the advice you've been giving and the straight shooting, uh, you know, advice you're sharing with this uh, with the audience is fabulous, and I appreciate that. So, moving to the other segments here, what would you change, Warren, in any areas of life, not just business? What would you change? Oh God, that's a great question. You know, I I uh, pride myself in one thing is that I'm blessed. Um, you know, I'm blessed with my family. I'm, I'm blessed with the ability to. Um, be independent, um, blessed with uh, making some money that I can give to charities that are near and dear to my heart. Um, I don't know that I would change much, Richard. You know, it's easy for me to say if I look at the you know 30 businesses that I've started or invested in, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's just ridiculous. No, I went with my gut at the time, did some research, and if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. I'm honestly proud to say I don't think I would change much. I'm, I'm living a, a, a wonderful life, and and um, while I've made mistakes in, in 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 my business life, you can't, you cannot do what I do ever and not make mistakes. You, it is absolutely physically impossible. That's like saying a baseball player gets up at bat and bats a thousand. The best baseball players bat four hundred. So you can't. Awesome. Awesome. What are you grateful for, Warren? 
in any area of life, not just business? Oh, so, you know, I'm just um, I'm 58 years old. I've had an amazing career. I think I'm probably, um, as I said, you know, not to sound, you know, what the expect, say the expect, but I have an awesome family. Um, I guess I'm most grateful for that lately is that I've been able to teach um, my three children, uh, to, to uh, a daughter and a son and my son-in-law, how to start a business. Um, they came to me uh, at the beginning of COVID. We had a family meeting and and honestly, like everybody else in, uh, in uh, March, we didn't know what the heck was going to go on. And um, um, they all had jobs. And I said, look, you know, don't leave your day job today, but I think the bedrock of the future, because is it a recession? Is it a depression? Like what's going to go on? There was no vaccine discussion. Who knew? Was it the plague? Was it like, who knew? And uh, we got together and I said, I'm willing to spend some time with you guys um, and teach you how to start a business if you're interested. And I got an idea in my pocket that I've been talking about for a while. And if you're interested, you know, let's do it. And that was in April and October 27th, they launched a business called licorice.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has been an unbelievable opportunity to spend that much quality time to, with, with all my kids who don't live in Florida with me and um, coach them um, as to how to do this. Because, you know, most of these business startups don't come with a playbook. They don't come with a crazy father or father-in-law that, um, you know, has done this before. So I'm blessed to be able to have done that. And since our launch, by the way, it's October 27th, licorice.com is, uh, experience something that uh, is shocking to all of us on the success side. And uh, it's really bringing a lot of great um, excitement to our family even more. Oh, that, that is awesome. And I went to the website on licorice.com and uh, it takes me back to, to my childhood. Uh, you know, in the, I'm from the UK. And so one of our, our big, you know, candy treats was licorice all sorts. It was like a box full of all these different types. Sure, of one of our best sellers. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so what are you seeing in the candy segment? Well, um, so going back a little bit, 20 years ago, um, actually, I was, um, I idolized Howard Schultz, uh, founder of Starbucks. And um, uh, one thing led to another thing. And it was so respectful that he took a, a pedestrian commodity cup of coffee. You know, I used to go growing up, I used to see my parents go to chock full of nuts. For those of you who are my age or older, you remember those, there were a bazillion of those. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was, um, you know, you can get some at Dunkin' Donuts, I guess, early on, but there was really no coffee stores around. And I was just so fascinated. And I had met him early, early on when he had 200 stores. And um, actually, he served me personally my first cup of coffee, because until that moment, I had never drank a cup of coffee. I was um, about 30 years old, never had one, and he served me a cold iced mocha. And by the way, since that moment, um, that's close to 30 years later, I have not missed a day drinking that damn drink, which I'm hyper pissed off about. <laughs> but um, I started a business sort of partly from his inspiration, and I, and I uh, just one day thought about the idea of um, no one's done anything in the popcorn space. Um, it's all about microwave popcorn over Redenbach or being the biggest brand. And I said, no one's upscaled it. No one's made it delicacy. No one's put any chocolate on it. No one put any um, really cool spices on it. And um, 
one thing led to another, and it started out as a retail concept um, in New York City until someone came in our store from Walgreens and said, I'm from Walgreens, can we put this in 8,000 stores? And Walmart heard about us, and then all the others heard about us and built one of the fastest growing snack food companies. We sold that about um, seven years, uh, six years ago. But um, since then, or actually before that, I, I just love the food business. And um, um, my wife and I love Twizzlers. Every Saturday night when we lived in New Jersey, we used to get a New York Times and a Twizzler, a pack of Twizzlers at the local store. And um, I was able to get the domain name um, years ago, licorice.com. And basically, um, I said, what's going on in the candy space? And know some friends in the space and got some counsel that, you know, it, it's, it's actually a growing market war. And I think it's really ticking up. And um, I said, I'm going to try to do it and do it different and do it better with exquisite packaging and fast delivery and giftable and 50 plus flavors world from all over the world. And um, I just saw an opportunity within the candy segment um, that was underserved. And as the history of what I've done a lot since the story I told you about Paper Direct, um, I found that other opening and that's the, the business that um, my, my children started and it's just been great. And what a beautiful thing. It's a generational business. And um, I'm sure your kids are very fortunate to have daddy as their mentor. I mean, this is just... Well, now they're the fifth generation. Fifth generation yeah, of entrepreneurs awesome. in our family. That is awesome. And, and so just a little bit about almost the same question about what you're seeing in the in the photo segment, because myphoto.com is your, is your latest venture. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've, I've gone to the website and uh, that's fascinating. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, please. Sure. So myphoto.com has one premise, and that is that if you ask 100 people in a room to look at their phone and um, to show you your their favorite photo, favorite, not all, because they got 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, their favorite photo of their kid or their dog or their least vacation, and they show it to you, and you ask the question, does that photo, that digital photo, live on a wall, desk, or a shelf. They don't say no, they get angry. Why did you ask that question? I'm so pissed off, I haven't done it yet. My wife gets upset with me that I haven't done it yet. I tried this company to try to do a photo book, but it took me two days and I aborted the process. And that led to trying to figure out what we call Crazy easy, crazy fast. So my photo's mantra is getting people in and out within two minutes, getting it in their hands in less than five days, and creating, as we say, never photo books, because that's an afternoon or a night or three days, to create awesome products for yourself or as a gift. And we believe our, our, our thesis is that the vast majority of people feel that way, that they have not done anything with it. And we are growing quickly in cracking the code of convincing people that through simplicity, um, it, it's really an awesome product to put on your wall, desk, or shelf. In fact, it's evidence because our, our, our best segments actually are people over 50 and men. So men historically never did this. Our market is close to 40% male. And I think the other people in the industry are about 6%. And historically, uh, people over 50 that consider themselves for the most part, a somewhat photo challenge or technology challenge, don't do this. 
And we have people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that are able to do this. So we have a factory and our business operated out of Delray Beach, Florida. And um, we make everything that you see on the myphoto.com website. Um, most of those products are, are, are completely uh, proprietary to us. It's taken us many millions of dollars to figure this out. But um, we've, we've had a nice uh, run. Uh, unfortunately, COVID put a little damper in our, in our trend because people didn't take as many vacations or go to graduations and weddings and football games. But uh, we, we have a lot of excitement uh, brewing up for post-COVID and continue to run a lot of media, both on TV, some on radio, podcasts, and uh, digital. And um, we are excited about the future. And above all, you're creating memories there. We're an awesome. Yeah, it's, a very, it's a very, it's a very emotional purchase. It's yes. not just you know buying a commodity online. It's very. Uh, we we the feedback we got. If you look at our website of of, of real customers, and there's many thousands of, of them that have, have reported how they feel. It's very emotional to be able. And most people have, many people have never physicalized any memories from their camera roll, and we're enabling them to do it for the first time. So here's a little story for you, Warren. Uh, we're talking, this is completely unscripted. So Hurricane Andrew, I just um, immigrated to the U.S. I was with my in-laws. Their, their house, long story short, their house was flattened. And I remember going back and meandering through this area that we had no idea where we were because of all of the stuff that went on uh, post-Hurricane Andrew. And I never forget, there was no house left. There was rubble. And my mother-in-law, the only thing she said in terms of her possessions is, oh my God, where are my photographs? Yep. All the other material stuff didn't matter. I mean, that was her first reaction in the home. It was, you know, I have a history of, you know, photos of my kids getting married, you know, us growing up and the kids growing up. And she was so distraught by the fact that she had lost the, the photo albums, you know? So there yeah. you go. So we recommend people not only physicalize them, but God forbid something happens that they're all digitized somewhere in the cloud and absolutely things to help people. But it's, uh, it is very uh, near and dear to people's hearts more than people even imagine. Absolutely. All right. So for the quick round, we're on, what is your favorite life lesson quote and why? <laughs> oh, I got a lot of them. Um, I guess my favorite probably is um, stay away from negative people. Yeah. Um, they have a problem for every solution. Wow. Yeah. Stay away from negative people. They have a problem for every solution. I have no desire in my life to be around negative people. And um, I think that negativity in, 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 in personal life and in business is toxic. And I live by that. Awesome. All right. What's, what business venture are you most proud of and why? <laughs> um, I, I would say um, it, it would have to be my first one. You know, I was 27 years old and um, I was able to, as I said earlier, um, I asked 35 people to give me money and, and um, most of them just did it because they probably felt bad for me. Um, but they had no idea what I was talking about, but they had confidence. And I guess probably the day that I gave them 47 times their money. So they gave me uh, $10,000, I gave them $470,000. And in 1993, 
pre-internet, no one did that. So I would have to say um, that was my proudest moment, giving out 47 times checks to people who took a blind blind leap in, in, in what I was doing. Awesome, awesome, beautiful. Okay, and the colliery question, what business venture are you least proud of and why? Oh, wow, least proud of. I, um, I'll give you one that um, I guess I always come to mind when I, when I make fun of myself, but it's not one that I started. So um, maybe it's not a fair answer, but I'm gonna tell it to you anyway. Uh, shortly after I, I, I sold Paper Direct um, and I had some money, I, I think my first investment was in a uh, startup airline. And I remember one of my very smart hedge fund friends said, Warren, no one's freaking made money airline business since the Wright brothers. And that was after I invested a quarter of a million dollars and proceeded in the next, I don't know how many days, weeks, months, it wasn't years, that it went to zero. So I always, I always like come back to that one. It wasn't mine that I started, but and it's a sort of a funny story, not funny that I lost that money, but it, it haunts me once in a while to not do too many stupid things, particularly after your friend made fun that, uh, actually, yeah, I think he made fun of me before I invested and I still did. Okay, got it, okay, all right. Um, Post-COVID world, how will that world change entrepreneurialism in the future? How will the post-COVID world change in the future? So I don't, my crystal ball is cloudy on that, but, but I do know that um, there will be a ton more reliance on being an entrepreneur. I think that, you know, when our, uh, people came to Ellis Island in New York City from the old world and they started push carts selling different wares and clothing and hats and bird feed, which has turned into Hearts Mountain Pet Foods, one of the largest pet food companies in the world. And, and I think about that, I, I think that we're going to go back to that. I think that entrepreneurialism um, is going to explode. And um, I think that uh, the need for capital is less today than it ever has been to start a business. Um, um, I am particularly a uh, huge believer that e-commerce just started, just started, yeah, just started. Um, and I think, the on, I think the opportunity on the internet vis-a-vis e-commerce in particular or goods and services in general on the internet is in its first inning. So I think that with people losing jobs, people um, being able to work at home and getting used to working at home. Um, and by the way, many of them are looking for businesses while they're working at home for somebody else, as we all know. Yeah. <laughs> the freedom. That, I think that more businesses are starting today and are gonna continue to start. And um, he who starts a business with a reasonable idea is gonna build a nice little lifestyle. Right. And so your ideas, I go back to your simplicity, which I really honor. Warren, it's been superb. And so what blue oceans do you see emerging from a post-COVID environment? Um, I, I just, uh, I, I'm a, I don't think like, like others um, that the typical office situation um, is ever going to go back um, to normal. Um, because we've learned so much that you can actually do stuff and people are shocked. The biggest naysayers of letting people work at home are shocked 
that some of this can work. Now, by the way, I'm not a full believer that everybody's being as productive as they could be in an office. But, but I think that, um, I, think, I think the idea to, to create, um, I, I guess give you an idea and I think there'll be a paradigm shift. I think the, the idea of Starbucks that was the original idea to serve coffee, but a, but a, but a, but a gathering place to have conversation. I think you're gonna see a lot more of those kinds of places and whether they serve coffee or popcorn or ice cream or just, you know, nothing, but just do, um, you know, salads, um, juices. I think you're gonna see a lot more of those kinds of places because people are gonna be able to work remotely, whether it's full-time or part-time. They're not gonna be able to or wanna often stay in their own home for a lot of reasons. And I think that there will be third places. There will be other places that will emerge that will accommodate this lifestyle going forward. And do you think um, just, just in the current environment we're in where we're cooped up and working from home that there's pent up feelings about that desire for human connection? I mean, you know, we all miss that and we're all staring in the mirror. The novelty of working from home is wonderful, but um, sentiments have changed over time that they really miss that human connection. Is that... Is that part of the, the blue ocean you're talking about? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and even if you don't have a, an office to ever go to or it's part-time, I think that people like people. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it is, is whether you work with that person or, or you get to know that person or, you know, if, if you have, you know, look, the WeWork concept sort of before the, before the pandemic made sense on a lot of levels. Yeah. I think you'll see different, um, you'll see derivatives of the WeWork concept not as big, but smaller pods. And I think they'll be in your local neighborhoods. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Last question. It's a bit of a combo question, Warren. What was your most significant learning in business? And part B of that is, and what is your parting wisdom bite for our listeners? Wow. I guess the biggest lesson is um, you really can do anything if you really want to get up and bat and you want it bad enough. Um, I'll just give you a short story to end. Um, I remember I gave a, a lecture, I think it was a Penn, University of Pennsylvania class, it was 20 years ago and 15 years ago. And, and someone asked, you know, I was telling a story about Paper Direct and I had done, I had reached out to uh, Microsoft and Hewlett Packard because I put paper samples in every one of those boxes because I convinced them if they put a paper sample in a catalog and laser printer boxes, they'll sell more toner. That's all they want to do. And I remember telling that story that I did that. And I did that in you know 1991. And some kid who's obviously, you know, has a high IQ and got it's a pen and I think it was Wharton. So well, how did you how did you get to that person? How did you do that? And I said, interesting. So there was a thing on my desk called a telephone. In fact, maybe it was one of these where I had to turn my finger and it wasn't even a push button. Oh, totally, yeah. I called 411. I got a local office of HP. They gave me a number in, in Idaho in Idaho where their printer division was. And I called and something called or someone called a receptionist, answered the phone. I asked for someone that's in charge of this area and I actually got through and I got a deal done. I opened the door there. I went on a plane. I got a deal done. 
Just pick up the phone. Just go on the internet. Go on LinkedIn. Go whatever. But don't be afraid to go after that guy or gal who you want to meet that can open doors. And that was one of the most successful, you know, calls to the operator who hooked me up with a with the receptionist that I ever did in my life. And I put paper samples in millions of boxes, you know, for several years. What um, Sorry, keep going. So, so I guess you know my parting words are just don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid to start. And and my first boss at the real estate company that I work for that I mentioned, and I quoted him the other day, is don't be afraid to ask for the order. Right. Don't be afraid to ask for the order. If you want to do a relationship with X, Y, and Z company, figure it out and don't be afraid of rejection. Just do it. Just ask. Worst case, they say go away or don't answer you. But try it. And, and that's really important. Absolutely. And what a closure to get up to bat and swing. Very <laughs> inspirational, Warren. Thank you so much. This has been tremendous for me. I've learned a lot. I'm sure it's tremendous for, for our listening audience here. And um, I really want to thank you, Warren. What, what a fabulous session here. Thank you so much. Richard, I wish you awesome success. And thanks for your time as well. God bless you and thank you. Love you. All the very mm -hmm. best to you. Take care. You. Stay you safe. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.